You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Today we're kicking off a series called Dangerous Prayers, and I came across some, some pictures that I want to show up on screen. Uh, have you ever done anything that was a little reckless, a little dangerous, that when you went back to think about it, probably wasn't your smartest move? So, some of you can relate to this. I, I don't know what it is with men and ladders and thinking that we can do all kinds of crazy things. Let, let's look at the next one. If you notice, the, the guy is barefooted uh, with sparks coming out. Not probably the most intelligent thing to do, or putting a plastic bag over your face. I, I don't recommend that. That's probably not something that you'd want to do. What about our next one? Oh, yeah. Water and electricity don't match. Working on a car like that. Uh, putting your foot into a tree machine like that, a chipper. I, bad things are going to happen. When we're talking about dangerous prayers, which is based off of a book by Craig Rochelle, I think it's being released tomorrow or on Tuesday, we're not talking about praying reckless things. We're actually talking about being intentional and and praying some big, bold prayers that take courage. Now, when I say the word dangerous, some of you, you're like, I don't like danger. I'm pretty conservative. I'm I like to kind of play things safe. And, and I get you. I, I, I'm getting to that age that, that the older I get, I like to be a lot more safer than what I used to. But when I'm driving, man, I'm paying attention a whole lot more around this town because people, uh, they, they fly through lights, and it doesn't matter what color light it is. And, and so you, you kind of take an extra few seconds to stop. When I go to the beach... I used to sometimes go all the way out to the furthest sandbar and, and thought that was cool and that was fun. And, and now I, I don't do that quite so much. I, I've seen pictures of things that swim out that, around that area. And I'm just like, ah, oh, n- no thanks. And when I'm, when I'm mowing, I pay a whole lot more attention to rocks and, and things like that. When it, when it comes to ladders, I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? Where's one of those younger people that can kind of climb up there and, and, and do that? Now, now, there's others of you that, man, you like doing dangerous things. Like, you're like, man, give me the, the, the scariest roller coaster. I'm there, bungee jumping, skydiving. Give me the tall ladders. I don't care. I like doing that. Let me ride my motorcycle as fast as it can go. I mean, you, you, when you get into your car, you act like it's NASCAR. It's like rubbing is racing out there on 410. I mean, you're just in, in, in and out. And, man, you're, you're excited. But when it comes to our prayer life, have you ever noticed that we tend to play it safe? We, we like safe prayers. Lord, protect me as I'm driving like a maniac. <laughs> Lord, bless me. Lord, heal me. Lord, help me. And these are good prayers. I pray them all the time. Anytime I'm going on a trip, I say, Lord, protect me from all these maniacs out here and, and help me to be a good driver as well. Lord, heal this person. Lord, help this person. Bless us. These are good prayers, but they're not the only prayers. 
that's out there. And, and so over the next few weeks, we're going to be encouraging you to pray some, some big, bold, courageous prayers. And, and we believe that they will help you grow closer in your walk with Christ. Because when you pray prayers like this, you're becoming more dependent on Christ. And so our first prayer is found in, in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and if, if you can just kind of camp out there, that's where, that's where we're going to be at today. So if you have your Bibles turned there, you can grab one from the pew, or if you can use your Bible app. But that's where we're going to spend a lot of time at today, in, in Psalm 139. And, and this is the prayer that, that David says. He says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, Point out in me that anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is one of those verses that we talked about last week. It was kind of like shopping for cereal. We, we said there were some cereal box verses, verses that when, we're, when, when we come across them, we're like, wow, let me get the highlighter out. Let me circle it. Man, I like that verse. And, and then... Then we also said, like on the serial, sometimes you just ignore some verses because they're convicting. And this could fall into that category as well because it's like, ah, do I really want to pray this? Do I really want to say this, Lord? Do I really want God to, God to do this? When, when we look at, last week when, we, when we're studying Scripture, we, t we said that it's important to look at context. And so today I want to go and walk kind of through Psalm 139. One of the commentators I read said that, this chapter right here is one of the most theological, or probably the most theological chapter in all of the Old Testament, because it goes through several attributes of God. And so we see in verses 1 to 6 that God knows all things. Verse 1, it says, O Lord, you've examined my heart, and what? Know everything about me. That can be a little scary, right? You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Have you ever thought about just kind of processing this, that God knows everything? He's not surprised by anything. Nothing just occurred to him. I, when my kids were small, especially, and I say small, I mean grade school, uh, sometimes I would hide. And when they would come home, I would sneak out, and man, I would try to scare them to get their reaction. We have a God, though, that isn't surprised, that's not scared. He is everywhere. And we see this, that, and this can bring us comfort because he's with us no matter what we go through in life. We see also, when we look at verses 7 to 12, we see that, not, or verses 7 to 12, that not only is he everywhere, but we also see that in verse 7 it says, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Not only does he know everything, he is everywhere. Isn't there some comfort in that? Now, some of you may be reading through your Bible, and, and you're going through your Bible plan, and you finish Genesis, and you finish Exodus, and now you're in Leviticus, and you're like, whoo, man, Leviticus, that's a tough book to digest. But when you're reading through the book of Exodus, you, you say, well, I know God is everywhere, and I know that he knows all things. But doesn't it seem like in the book of Exodus that God kind of comes and goes? And when you read through the Old Testament, when you read through the Bible, it doesn't seem like God is there, and then sometimes he's not. When, when, when we say that God is everywhere, we sometimes say that's his omnipresence. But there's also his manifest presence. 
It's when he chooses to make himself known. There's several examples of this in the Bible. We're going to see some of these. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. And, and we see that in the cool of the morning, they go and hide. In the, and it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, all the man and his wife heard Lord God walking in the garden. God was already there, but then all of a sudden they, they hear God walking. Exodus chapter 3, God speaks to Moses in a burning bush. Well, God was already there, but he manifested himself. 1 Kings chapter 8, when the priest came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. We see this manifest presence. 2 Chronicles 7, 11, when Solomon finished praying, the fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord, what? Filled the temple. You, you see this over and over. We skip to the New Testament. 1 John 1, 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He tabernacled among us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We know that he lived with us. He lived that perfect life, and then he died on a cross so that we could have eternal life with him. You, you skip to Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and, 3 and 4. We call this Pentecost. We see the Holy Spirit come. Then we looked at the, like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and every present, or everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. You see, we, we see God's, God is everywhere, but he also chooses to make himself known. And then when we skip to verses 13 to 18, we see that he's all-powerful. You made all of the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. We know that God made our bodies. And, and, and David just mentions our bodies, but when you look at creation, think about how complex and, and how marvelous that is. If we just think about all the different types of trees, all the different types of flowers, we think about the stars. God is all-powerful. He is creator. He's done all of these things. And, and, and you may see this word throughout the Old Testament, or you will see this word in the Old Testament that kind of describes his power. It's almighty. You, you'll see this in almost every book in the Old Testament. God is almighty. Sometimes you'll see the term El Shaddai. It's a name for God. God almighty. That he is all-powerful. And so here's a question that I want you, you to kind of think about today. If God is all-powerful, can he do anything? Can he do anything if God's all-powerful? Yes or no? Yes. Can God lie? No. But I thought he was all-powerful. Can he sin? No. Oh, we got a Bible scholar up here. <laughs> so this is a question that, that comes up from time to time when we're talking about God being all-powerful. And it's something that I do want you to chew on. I want you to kind of talk uh, over at lunch or uh, before the Super Bowl. But let me just kind of put it in a nutshell for you. God, it's not a question of what God can't do. It's a matter of what he won't do. There's, he won't ever go against his character. And we have to keep that in mind. But there is a question that's asked by some of your family and some of your friends, and, and it's something that sometimes they struggle with. Well, if God's all-powerful, then why won't he do this? Or why does, 
Why is there pain and why is there suffering? And so I don't want to just kind of paint this as a pretty picture. Hey, God's all powerful. That's great. That's wonderful. But I also think we need to dig in and kind of chew and, and think about that. So we see that God is everywhere. He knows all things. He's all powerful. And, and then David comes and he's got some issues. Anybody ever have some people in their life that they struggle with? Anybody have some people that, that get on their nerves? Uh, hopefully it's not the person next to you. But maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's some kids at school. He says, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. Those are pretty harsh words, right? I think we all have some people in our life that's difficult to deal with. And, and David's real. He didn't, didn't play around. He's like, man, get them out of my life. I destroy them. And then he, he does something that's very, very courageous that leads up to this prayer. One commentator said that, that David, is, David is very courageous. I mean, he, he killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. He took a slingshot and killed a giant. But the most courageous thing he did was to pray this prayer. He said, search me. Search my heart. Test me. And instead of thinking about all of the problems with the other people that's giving him a hard time, instead of pointing the fingers there, he said, actually, I need to point right here. And I need to let God into my heart. I need to give him the keys. God, you don't have to have a search warrant. Here's the doors. Walk right in and began to see what's going on here. Because when we began to look right here, then that's going to change our perspective on how we think about other situations. He says, search me. He says, look at my heart. And, and, and this is where it gets a little uncomfortable because when we look at our heart, let's just stay there on our heart for just a second. When, when we look at our heart, and God begins to do an inventory. He's going to see some good things. And he's going to say, hey, you're doing a really good job in these areas. But then he also may see some things that aren't pleasant. He may say, you know what, you're really faking it. You come here on Sunday and, and you sing songs and you say hi to Ronnie and, and all of those things. But in reality, you're just going through the motions. Like, I know who you are Monday through Saturday. You're, you're not really fully committed. He may say, oh, you know what? I'm looking, and I know you've hidden some things back here, but I see some anger and some rage and some bitterness and some things that you haven't dealt with. And I think that we need to kind of take those boxes out, and we need to actually have a discussion. Like, God, I, I don't know. Those things, have, those things have been got cobwebs on them. I, I don't really know if I want to go there. God might... As you pray this prayer, he may start bringing out some things. There might be some pain and some hurt that you've buried for a very long time that God may say, hey, let's deal with this. He might say that you have a divided heart. See, Satan doesn't want you to be focused on God only. He might say, well, you love, you love me, but you also love popularity. You love me, but you also love money. You love me, but you also love your job a whole lot. You love me, but you love your kids, or you love this relationship, or you love me, and you fill in the blank. One preacher put it this way. He said, just imagine if you had a husband that said, oh, I love my wife. I'm faithful to her Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I have a mistress. 
I know my wife wouldn't go for that. And God doesn't go for that either. We have a jealous God. He wants all of us. He wants us to be fully committed. Yet at the same time, Satan constantly kind of bombards us and says, oh, God and something else. Because he knows if, we, if he can get us to this point, that eventually God will be put in the second or third or fourth place. And, and we have to be aware of that. And so when we give God permission, when we say, God, do an inventory, come on in. We've got to be prepared. And, and this is scary. But I want to go back to the attributes of God. God already knows what's in your heart. God is present with you right now. And God gives you the power as you begin to search your heart, when he begins to test you. And then he says, know my anxious thoughts. What are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that bring fear to your life? I'm not talking about snakes and spiders, even though that may scare some of you. But is it losing your job? Is it losing your love, a loved one? Is it an illness? Is it cancer? Is it the stock market going down? Well, we, we get bombarded with bad news. I mean, we, all we have to do is, is turn on the news or we get alerts on our phone that, hey, this has happened or that ha has happened. And Craig Rochelle says this, and, I, and, and I've heard this line before, but I want to give him credit. He says, what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. Where we fear, what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. And so as we're searching our heart, I think we have to get to that point in time where we realize, hey, what am I worried about? What keeps me up at night? What just is a burden on my heart? And we began to release this to God. We say, God, here's my fears. If I'm worried about my kids so much, maybe I'm not trusting God with my kids. If I'm worried about paying my bills, maybe I'm not trusting that God's going to be my provider. You see, we've got to get to that point in time where we say, God, here's my anxious thoughts. Here's my fears. I, I give it all over to you. And, and then as we continue in this prayer, point out anything in me that offends you. Some of you are okay until we got to that point. Because that's where we began to show, show me my sin, God. Show me the things in my life that's not holy, that's not pleasing to you. I said in our Sunday school class today that we're great about finding specks of sin in other people's life. We're great about noticing sin in other people's life. We can go around, we can, we can notice that sin pretty easy, but we don't always like to look at the sin in our own life. But have you ever noticed this? A lot of times the sin that we notice in other people's life is the same sin that we're struggling with. Oh, so-and-so is a gossip as you're gossiping about them. So-and-so has a critical spirit as you're being critical about them. As a parent, I've kind of noticed this, that some of the things that really get on my nerves in my kids are some of the same things that I struggle with. And so as you began to to evaluate your heart and you began to search and you began to, to think about that sin in your life. Maybe think about the specs that you notice in other people's life and notice, hey, do I struggle with those things? You know, the great thing is that we have a God that's not looking down and saying, hey, I'm going to crush you because you struggle with sin. No, we have a loving God that says, I know your sin. I'm here with you. I'm 
all-powerful. I can help you as you go through this sin. I can help you as you deal with it. And then he says, lead me along the path of everlasting life. We've talked about this several times. So many times it's hard to let God lead our lives. We, we like to call our own shots so much. We, we want to do what we want to do. But when we get to that point in time where we say, God, I trust you. And sometimes it has to be a daily decision like, God, I trust you right now. And then sometimes we pull it back. A, a few years ago, I went on a Washington, D.C. trip. Uh, I think it was with my, with, uh, my oldest. And I just went as a chaperone. Uh, the painful part was writing the check for the trip. But, but actually going on the trip, it, it was pretty refreshing uh, because most trips I end up organizing and saying, hey, we're going to do this or do that. But on this one, I got off at the airport and they told me where to go. They told me when to get on the plane. They told me when to get off the plane. They told me when we were eating. They told me when to get on the tour bus. They told me, hey, watch these kids at this time. I didn't do anything. Or really, I mean, I just kind of just went through the motions and just did whatever. You know, when we get to a point where we wake up and say, God, this is your day. Yes, there's certain things that I would like to get done, but I'm just going to give you this day. I'm going to dedicate this day to you, and, and I'm going to give you my stress. I'm going to give you my fears. I'm going to give you my anxiety. I'm going to give you everything. I'm just going to let you lead me. I, I trust you. God, be my leader. So many times when we read a passage like this, lead me along the path of everlasting life, we automatically kind of think about heaven. God, uh, I, just lead me to heaven. Lead me to this time in the future that's going to be so great that I'm going to be in your presence. But I think David's also saying, lead me toward holiness. Lead me to become more like you. Transform my life so that I can become more like you. And so as you begin to search and you begin to pray this prayer, I, I want to give you some questions to kind of evaluate. I want you to ask yourself these questions. What are others telling me? If you have two or three people in your life that's saying, hey, here's an area that you might want to deal with. There's a common denominator there. It's you. If everyone's saying the same thing, saying, hey, you're really struggling with this in your life, you might want to deal with it. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's just, hey, you're having a hard time dealing with just life, stress, or whatever the case may be. Chances are you might want to deal with this. Second question I want you to ask, what have I rationalized for some time? Everyone's doing it. It's not hurting anyone. It's my reward to myself. It's not that big of a deal. If we're rationalizing it, chances are God may want to deal with that in our life. And then lastly, where am I most defensive? Where am I most defensive? When people bring up those areas in our life where we say, mind your own business. I'm not going there. That make you irritable. I think we probably all have some of those areas, right? That we don't want to necessarily go there because people are starting to get a little to those boxes that we hide away. Maybe that's God's way of saying, hey, it's time to let me work with you through these. So I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer with me. And again, it's a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that can be painful at times. And I want you to pray with me right now, but then I also want you to pray this prayer over and over this week. Search me, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 